RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning. Ah, what a week. Holy crap, what a week. Uh, It is Duffified Live, man. It means Friday morning. That's good. That means we're ready for the weekend. We're ready to rock and roll. We're ready to get out there and have some fun. Um, It has been uh, a lot of fun over the last two weeks, man. I really have uh, kind of been rocking and rolling, going all over the country, uh, trying to have a good time, which as you guys know, I'm no stranger to. Um, You know, for the last uh, two weeks, I've kind of been in and out of a couple different spots. Um, I I had the luxury of heading out to uh, York, Pennsylvania to go out and do an evaluation for a bunch of clients out there um, with a big property, a really cool little property. Um, It was a neat space. Uh, The hardest part about doing evaluations like that is when you find out that the number one problem is the owner of the restaurant. Um, But uh, he's a really good guy, very passionate about what he does. We just got to get him out of the kitchen for a little bit. Let the chef take the lead and let the chef start running the show in the back of the house as opposed to the owner. And uh, a lot of times that becomes a hindrance, man. Um, You know, they're trying to micromanage every aspect of the business because one, the business is struggling just a little bit. Um, So they start to kind of freak out and say, well, I want to do it my way. I got to do it this way. But what we need to do in those cases is pull it back in, pull the reins in in other areas. Let's pay attention to the front of house. Let's pay attention to our service, our bar, all of that stuff. And unless there's a big problem coming out of the kitchen and the problem that I found in this location was that there were some problems in the kitchen and we can address them pretty simply. So who knows? Who knows about all that? It's it's uh. it's something that we deal with all the time because they're the owner, you know? So how do you handle that situation? Um, In my case, I'm lucky enough because I'm able to speak freely. Uh, I tell my owners and the people that I work with, uh, you know, my clients and whatnot, very straightforward right off the bat that I am here for the business. And if I see that the owner is a portion of the bit or a problem in the business, then I'm going to let that be known. It's just the way that the game works. I'm not here to coddle things. I'm not here to pussyfoot around. I only have a couple of days to come in and get as much information as I can. So, I've got to be able to kind of keep it, keep it really tight and really concise. So, um, and straight to the point, that's the key. You know, when I say, Hey, look, one of the things I want you to do is stay out of the kitchen. They, they give you pushback really quick. They give you pushback. Um, but, uh, when you explain to them the reason why you want them out of the kitchen and that you really want to give the chef a chance and give the chef an opportunity to try to shine and make a couple of changes that are going to help the business, they typically will give it, they'll, they'll, they'll allow that to happen. So, um, so uh, right after that, I hopped right on a plane, man. The next morning I hopped right on a plane. I got to spend a week or three days down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, hanging out with the uh, boys from uh, Talk Kappa Epsilon, uh, the fraternity that I was inducted in uh, back in August. Yes, I said that correctly. I was inducted into a fraternity back in August, which was a really neat opportunity and a really neat uh, experience for me. Uh, my buddy Brad Bohannon is a member of Talk Cap Epsilon, and I'm now a member as well. Uh, I am scroll number 195 from the Grand Chapter out there in Indianapolis. And it's pretty cool. It's a really neat thing. I, I didn't realize how in-depth this was going to go and what my responsibility was going to be. But I got to head down to Atlanta. I got to speak at a leadership group um, at their leadership conference that they have every year. They did four of them over the last month and I got to hop in on the last one. Um, Amazing experience. Just a a wonderfully dynamic group of people that oversee this fraternity 
And the boys, the under uh, the undergrads that are involved in this have a tremendous amount of passion for it. And for me to be able to stand in front of them and talk about leadership and and I, I always talk about my first 10 and my last 10. You guys have heard it before. My first 10 years in the industry where I was a pure, full-blown dickhead. Um, I was an asshole. I was a cocky son of a bitch. I did well and I, I got recognition for what it is that I was doing with my food and with what I was doing. But behind closed doors, I was not a nice person. I really have changed a lot of that around in my last 10. I've worked really hard to create a good dynamic for people to work in. Um, unfortunately, people people still struggle with it. You know, They struggle with somebody who's blunt and to the point and, and calls you out on shit and is accountable, holds you accountable for what you're doing. So um, a, a amazing experience. Uh, uh, there's a great article that was written that I'm going to post online this week uh, about some stuff that I've done. And it's a really neat little thing because it's it's called How My Con- How the Connections Made a Celebrity, which was kind of cool to read. It was a neat thing to read. I was really enjoying uh, the article that was put together. So um, I will definitely get that link out to you guys so that everybody gets to see it. Um, it it's a cool magazine um, that they put out. Uh, it's it just a really neat, neat group of people, um, are involved in this. I mean, it, it's a lifelong commitment really to get involved in a fraternity. I never knew that. I thought I was going to go down and get all banged up with the boys. I did. I thought I was going to go to New Orleans. I was going to hang out, you know, a little crazy food, some fun, get shit faced with a bunch of guys, but it changed once I sat up there and put my hand on a skull, man, and a dagger and a Bible. And I had to recite, you know? That's when things changed a little bit. I didn't realize that I was going to have to be so um, uh, responsible. And it was really a cool kind of awakening for me. I really liked it. So um, I'm going to talk a lot more about uh, about Teak. We're going to have a couple of really cool guys on here. I have, an, I have an attorney out of Florida who we're going to have on in the next couple of weeks who's going to talk to us about some of the stuff that's going on down there. He is a criminal defo- de- defense attorney who I got to hang out with on Saturday night who's a very dynamic individual and a really, really nice guy. But we had a long talk about the uh, his a friend of his is actually the attorney for Cruz, the kid who shot everybody. And his uh, explanation is something that kind of left me hanging. I was really sitting on the edge of my seat as to, um, you know, what his 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 take on what was on the whole thing. So um, I'm going to be I'm excited to bring that to you guys. And we're going to talk about that in just the next couple of weeks. But but what I have going on this week is so a couple months ago, I'm out in Sacramento. Sacramento, Sacktown, uh, where my good buddy Keith Breedlove lives from Culinary Cruiser. And I was out there for the California Walnut Board and I uh, sat down to dinner with a chef friend of mine and who lived in New York and now lives in Chicago. And she was telling me that she was on her way. She had to run downstairs because her delivery was there. And I'm like, your delivery for what? She's like, I'm getting my weed delivered. I'm like, you're having weed delivered to the restaurant? She's like, yeah, we're in California. I got my medical card. And I'm like, well, how do you have a medical card? You live in Chicago. She said, oh, I got it online. I'm like, what the fuck? What do you mean you got your medical card online? Like, you know, my experience of a medical marijuana card was from watching uh, uh, Entourage. You know, Johnny Drama walking into the doctor's office, getting his medical card. And the doctor says, well, what's wrong with you? He's like, there's nothing wrong. He's like, well, there has to be something wrong with you. I mean, he's like, nothing. The doctor's like, you, have, uh, you got pains in your legs? Nothing. No, I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm perfectly fit. Uh, how's this going on here? Everything's awesome. I'm great. I mean, this is Johnny Drama. You know, it's from Entourage. So he finally gets into like the anxiety thing. And he's like, look, if you want the card, you got to tell me something's wrong with you. So it was pretty funny because uh, uh, my friend uh, gave me the phone number 
or the website. So I was on my phone. I went on my phone and and I, and I, I made the call because I wanted to see what this was all about. So I went on my phone. I made the call and uh, or got onto the website and I signed up for it. Now, one of the neat things is that there's actually a couple of different levels that you can do that I did not know. So uh, it's a medical cannabis card that you can get in minutes. It's fast, secure, and simple, and it starts from $49. I'm not even kidding you. See a physician online on any device. There's no appointment needed. Uh, Dr. Frank makes getting a medical marijuana card easy. All you have to do is follow the three three simple steps below. And you do this through drfrank.com. That's the website. Confidential and convenient, only build if approved, okay? So we are in the world now of being able to get a medical card online for whatever your ailment is. So for me, the ailment that I discussed with Dr. Frank was, obviously, I'm a chef. I stand a lot. Uh, Plus, I'm getting older, man. So my knees have started to bother me a little bit. I'm really trying to take care of those. I take a lot of really good homeopathic stuff for it. And and every now and then I do. I do some CBD oil that I have. that I, that I bought when I was in Cali the last time. And I, I have it all over my knees. So I'm con like I put this stuff on my knees because it just feels good at the same time. And it's not like the THC, it's the CBD. So uh, I'm going to give you a really quick thing here right now. Okay. So medical marijuana recommendation and education, you go to drfrank.com. Um, so Dr. Francis D'Ambrosio is an orthopedic surgeon who has dedicated his practice to helping patients with medical cannabis. Through his medical practice, he aims to empower and educate people on the benefits of the substance for countless ailments helping those in need uh, access a medical marijuana card, all right? Um, he is one of the U.S. leading voices for medical cannabis and policy reform. Through his medical practice, he aims to empower and educate people on the benefits of the substance for countless ailments um, uh, for their card. Five years ago, Dr. Frank became fascinated with the science of cannabis and its success in relieving medical conditions such as depression and head trauma. After 30 years of treating patients as an orthopedic surgeon, many of whom would never find relief from their chronic pain, Dr. Frank decided to dedicate his practice to helping patients through medical marijuana. His practice now counsels patients all over the country on a daily basis. Aside from advocating medical marijuana, Dr. Frank is a father, husband, Ramones fan, and lover of flamingos. So that was Dr. Frank's bio, which I love. I think it's awesome. But I actually spoke to Dr. Frank on the phone that night and we had a really good conversation. It was probably 20 to 25 minutes that we talked on the phone and just kind of discussed everything that was really involved in this. I mean, I was I was completely amazed at the process of doing this. So my last trip uh, out to California when I flew into LA a couple of weeks ago with my buddy Tips, I went out to go shooting uh, for, for some pickup for bar crashers. Um, I landed in LA and I was standing outside. Um, I was waiting for my Uber to come and pick me up in front of LAX. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what the hell? I may as well try this. So I placed my order online uh, through through a website called getnug.com. And they ask for your rec card. So in your, in your, uh, bio in your profile on getnug.com, you, you're, everything's in there, your name, your birth date, your picture and your rec card phone and your rec card number. Um, so, and then I got to, uh, I got to my hotel where I was staying and about five minutes after I checked into the hotel, um, I got a phone call that said, Hey, your, your delivery is going to be here in a couple minutes. So I walk downstairs and I go into the lobby and I have a full conversation with this guy. His name was Nick. 
And Nick was a really nice dude, dressed California style, um, a white bag in his hand, uh, like a like a white sandwich bag kind of thing. And uh, with like a staple on top of it was my receipt and all of that stuff. And we just kind of bullshitted for a couple minutes. We had a nice little conversation. I felt like I was talking to like a really cool pizza guy. And inside of there, I had put um, a bunch of CBD stuff. So I didn't want to go with the THC right off the bat. I wanted to try the, the CBD and see what that delivery was like. And what I did was I picked a couple different salves, something for my knees. Um, I picked something for my hands because, again, these chef hands and these, you know, they're, they're starting to crack and, and get a little funky and whatnot. So I got a little bit of CBD oil for that. And I got a couple of uh, little uh, caramels um, that I figured I'd try as well. Again, CBD, not the THC portion of it. Um so I, I tried it and it was just a really cool transaction. Like Nick walked away and I kind of wanted to hang out with Nick for a while. Like Nick was a really cool dude. So it was kind of cool to watch that whole transaction happen. Um, but, but so my guest for this week is Dr. Frank. Sorry, I don't have Nick for you, but I do have Dr. Frank, the leading authority. This guy is awesome, um, of unbelievably knowledgeable, very, very personable. And I love his uh, direction that he's going because of the fact that it is such a controversial topic these days with all the different states that are trying this stuff, what's going on with the laws and the rules and the regulation. And another really cool thing is I get emails on the changes that are happening with this sort of stuff. So um, ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to do me a favor before I, I don't want to talk all day about the intro for this guy because I'd rather get him right on the phone. Everybody do me a favor, um, turn the radios up, get the kids out of here because we're going to be talking about some weed. Um, and welcome to the to uh, welcome to Duffified Live, man. We got Dr. Frank. How are you? I'm awesome, dude. How are you, man? Good. It's been a while. It's, it has. It was, it's been, uh, I want to say like August. Yep. Yep, I think yep, was yep. when we first started talking. So, um, hey, Doc, do me a favor. Uh, you cool if I call you Doc? Of course. <laughs> uh, I've already introduced you. What I want you to do now is I want you to tell everybody how we can get in contact with you to do what we're about to talk about. Uh, okay. Well, I, uh, I have a website, uh, an educational, informational website called drfrank.com. Spell out doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R-F-R-A-N-K.com. Uh, people can get their recommendation letters, medicinal recommendation letters at that site, but more important than the letters. Most important thing is the education. It's about making sure people understand the rules of cannabis, when to use cannabis, what conditions work with cannabis, uh, what conditions cannabis works with, uh, different types of strains, different profiles, that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's basically an informational website. And you can also get me on Instagram at Dr. Frank Live, as well as on uh, YouTube, Dr. Frank Live. And Facebook too, right? Dr. Frank yeah. Live. I, I, I'm sensing a pattern here. Dr. Frank Live, and again, I'm just finding this out right now, appears to be on all of my social media. That's Am perfect. I correct on that? I have that? Yeah, I got that. I got a guy next to me who's telling me I'm correct. Is that Frankie? That's Frankie. All right, I talked to Frankie earlier. Nice. So everybody do me a favor. Head over to Dr. Frank, uh, the website, to get all the information. And if you look here right now, like it goes through everything. We talk about the recommendations, the state guides, the medical conditions. There's a blog and then where you can get verified and all of that stuff. It's a great site. And like I said, I hopped onto this site when I was in Sacramento and Dr. Frank and I talked for about 20 or 25 minutes. Um, and then within a matter of minutes, I had an email. I had everything 
And then I, I end up coming home like a week later and there was my medical card with everything right there. It's amazing how this is this has all come together. Uh, the fact that we are allowed in California, there's only three states that actually allow telemedicine for the evaluations for, for medicinal cannabis recommendation letters. California, New York, and Nevada. Okay. The, you know, I, cannabis and the evaluations for cannabis were built in so many ways for telemedicine. Because telemedicine was originally constructed for people who were living in areas that were so rural, they couldn't get to their nearest physician. But an enormous amount of the patients who I'm seeing are essentially homebound. They're disabled. They have bad backs. They don't want to take opioids. They got fibromyalgia. They can't get out of bed. They're too anxious. The social anxiety is paralyzing them. So if you can actually not have to leave your home, be able to see a physician in order to, to be evaluated for a recommendation letter, I think it works out very, very nicely for, for the patient as well as for the doctor, but ultimately for the patient. But again, the states at this particular point haven't really jumped on board with regards to telemedicine. Luckily, we are in a, a very populous state, 40 million people in California and in how many are 30 to 29, 30 million in New York. So that large swath of our country gets access to telemedicine, whereas unfortunately, most other places do not. Hold on a second. Bianca, why is your sister in the tree? <laughs> why does she have a nail gun? You can't build a tree house in a weeping willow. Get her damn now. Uh, are, these, are these your kids? Twins, 12. No. Building a, a tree house in a weeping willow with a nail gun. Hey, hey you, know, you know what? Entrepreneurial spirit. Where's their mother? If she's getting her nails done right now, my head's going to explode. I swear. <laughs> All right, so is that what you, you have two girls, 12? I have two I have two girls. I have two twin 12-year-old girls right now. They're okay, here with okay. me now. But I have five other children. Oh, I went okay. out there. I, I was fruitful and I multiplied. Right. You know, I, you yeah, know multiplicity, yeah. that was me. Okay, I went okay. out there. I took care of that. I like, I like pizza. pizza. Remember that? Remember that? Oh yeah, that was a great movie. <laughs> the third one, the third guy. Yes. I like pizza. I like pizza. <laughs> so uh, I have I have seventeen and fourteen. So um, oh. those are my girls. Yeah, we're 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 being heavily recruited to Ohio State right now. And, oh uh, yeah, for crew. Yeah, my daughters are rowing. Very nice. Uh, the guy I do my radio, my television show, uh, uh, elevate the conversation. He's a graduate of Ohio State University. Oh wow, cool. And they're very proud, not only of their sports team, but how hard they party. Not that, not that I'm going to say that your daughters would necessarily fall into that whole Ohio State party regiment. <laughs> I hope they do. Seriously, what's the problem with partying? Having a good Look, time? I mean, seriously, my I have I have a very and I talk about it all the time. I have a very open relationship with my children. I communicate a very open communication when it comes to everything. I'm like, look, you're going to, if I sit here and tell you not to drink, you're just going to do it, but you're going to hide it. You're going to hide it from me. You're going to, you're going to try to sneak around the house. You're going to, my girls know the benefit, you know, the, 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 the kind of the shit that happens with booze. You know, we talk about drugs. We talk about it all. I say, you're going to try smoking weed. It, it, it's just going to happen. Don't put a pill in your mouth. Don't put a needle in your arm and don't put anything up your nose. And don't take a drink from anybody you don't know. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of rules that we have to do. I, I we can't parent the way that we that that I was parented. Don't do it. Don't do it. Catholic way. Yep. No, I, I agree. I, I was brought up that exact same way. Uh, again, I'm a little bit on the extreme. At 18, I made sure that every one of my children had a recommendation letter for cannabis, wow. even if they're not going to use it. 
Sure. Put it in the car. Just right. make sure you at least have that coverage. I went a little crazy, and I know the wife's going to go crazy if I say this, uh, but at 17, I put my four older daughters for their 17th birthday, I gave them a prescription for uh, uh, oral contraceptives because I figured they're going to wind up getting involved with a guy at some point. Sure. Why not make sure they're covered? Right. So right. This is this is parenting in the uh, in the 20 teens. Absolutely. It's I mean, it has to be. I mean, I, I can't I can't imagine. And my parents did a great job, but I can't imagine parenting my girls with the rebel the way I, I'm a total rebel. I, I rebel against a lot of stuff. I've always been that way. I'm loaded. I've got tattoos and all that stuff. But with my girls, I, I have chosen to go the communicative method. And I, I think it's done me really well. I, I have two great kids. So listen, what's the downside? I mean, I I in my Catholic upbringing in back in Brooklyn. <laughs> my mother, I mean, she did not spare the rod. There no. was no rod sparing. And, you know, you go to school and all of a sudden the nuns are whacking you on the hands. So you come home, your hands are all bruised. And my mother said, what, were you bad? Well, the, the, the nun hit me. If somebody touched my kid today, yes. forget it. I go berserk. My parents it was okay. Don't worry about it. You probably deserved it. You know, I'm sitting there. I can't play the piano anymore. The problem was I couldn't play beforehand. So that's right, not even. Right, right. <laughs> but you know what the thing is, is that, I mean, but look at the difference in the way that everybody is now compared to then. I'm not saying that it's bad now. I'm just saying that there is a much more litigious speak out. It's not my fault. If you, if you touch my child, you, you, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to get you fired. I'm going to get you removed. It's that of simple. Course. I don't touch my kid. Right. Neither do I. Touch my kid. How yeah, are you talking yeah. about? Are you ready? Mind? <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was scared shitless of my teachers in school. Scared to death. Miss Parentosi had to be in third grade, had to be six foot five. Right. She was a massive woman. And I remember saying to her. Full, full beard. She had a full beard. Oh, my gosh. She was a big lady, man. And, and I remember. Big Adam's apple. <laughs> she said, where's your cursive book? And I said, I, I, I left it at home. And right. she said, you're lying to me. And I said, I don't know where it is. I think I let this is third grade. I'm scared shitless. She picks up my desk while I, she said, get out of the desk. She picks it up. She turns it sideways and shakes it up and down until my cursive book falls out on the ground. And she said, I told you, you were a liar. Now go to the principal's office. I was done. I was done with school. <laughs> That's not going to give you any kind of nightmares or put you into any kind of therapy, is it? That's no, normal that's behavior. That's normal it, behavior. It put me in public school. That's where it put me. <laughs> so, fifth grade, I was in public school. But uh, so, so now, how does so how does this all come to? You're living in Brooklyn, and how long have you been in LA? I got out of I got out of New York. Now I had my first 32 years of my life. I, I lived on the East Coast. Born and raised in the city, then I went to college in Philadelphia, Albany for medical school, did my residency at Beth Israel down in Manhattan. So I had a full dose of of, uh, oh my God, yeah, of got yeah, it was great. And then in 1992, I I left to come out to do a, a spine fellowship out at Rancho Los Amigos here in L.A. And I realized that for four months a year, it was just so painful. The weather was so painful in New York. <laughs> that it wasn't worth it because if you think about it, four months a year is essentially a third of your life. So for a third of your life, from a weather standpoint, you're going to be absolutely miserable. And I know that my mother kept saying when I didn't come back, 
know, your family can keep you warm. It's not that warm. Not that it's warm. Not, it's not going to keep me that warm. So I stayed out here since 92. Uh, and it's, I haven't, I, I don't even go back to visit anymore, man. Really? I don't even go back to visit. Do you still I'm have back, family back here? Oh, please. Everywhere. You got to be kidding. <laughs> the Ambrosio from Brooklyn? Yeah, you got family back here. Everywhere. The Ambrosio and the Pellegrinos. They're scattered all around the East Coast. Just ridiculous. Where in, where in Philly were you? I was outside of Philadelphia. I went to college called Haverford, which is a Quaker college on the main line. I grew up in Ballakinwood. I live in Ballakinwood. Oh, there you go. All right. So I went to Haverford. I was okay. a, uh, I was an Italian kid raised by the, you know, educated by the Jesuits uh, in Manhattan, went down to a Quaker college. Uh, and it was a, a, sh a shock for them and a shock for me. Sure. But, but I think it, round, it definitely rounded out my accent. Yeah, because yeah. you got to do that. Go for it, stuff. Oh yeah, man. I, I had to. I had to adapt that into the. That's wonderful. And yeah. so then it came into what is now burgeoned into my idiosyncratic jargon. I like it. I'm a fan of it. So now, where and where in Brooklyn did you grow up? I grew up in, in the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn, which is right underneath the Verrazano Bridge. Sure, it's sure. it's very very close to the Bensonhurst section where Tony Manero was bouncing up and down the street when the white outfits with the bat with the thing of paint. Okay. So I was very, very close to that area, but I was lucky enough to get an academic scholarship to an unbelievably prestigious uh, Jesuit high school. So I would travel every day to the 85th Street and Park Avenue in Manhattan, um, and it was wonderful. I was, I was, from 1973 to 1977, I was a 14- to 8-year-old teenager on my own in Manhattan, and the 70s in Manhattan were crazy, had to be. crazy stuff. There was no Disneyland for adults. There was, there was all the smut shops. There were the sex shows. I'm 14 years old, <laughs> zipping up and down the street. It was crazy, crazy. When you walk out of the subway, you see the big thing, Triple X, <laughs> Harry Reams, uh, the Linda Lovelace stuff. I'm going through puberty during this nonsense. Right, and walking down with an erection all through through Manhattan. Well, still, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it was it was insanity, and then from there to go down to Mainline, Pennsylvania, you know, it was uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock, but it was nice. <laughs> It's a different world down here. And I, and, you know, I was just talking with a buddy of mine, a, a, a very good friend of mine owns a company. Have you heard of Kind Financial? I, I'd like to say yes, because I've okay. heard of, there's something to do with Kind out here where they're doing the uh, software for uh, that's Seed it. to Sale. Seed that to company? Sale. So that's my buddy. And okay. he's from, he actually is from here as well. So he's from Balakinwood as well. So he's another guy who ended up, you guys stole, California stole another one of us. Ah, well, listen. Well, my brothers are out there too. Is that right? Yeah, they own a production company called Ugly Brother. They live in uh, Culver City. Okay, not too far from where I am. Yeah. So, yeah, but listen, it's the weather, man. It's the weather. I know. They kill you with taxes. They kill you with everything. And you still can't leave. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, California is the drug. Nothing yes, else, I agree. As far as I'm concerned. I agree. And I even, I mean, I love going up north into Sacramento, San Francisco and that sort of stuff. I mean, hey, my buddy's got a place in uh, Marina Del Rey. It's a million dollar, 900 square foot space. It's beautiful. Right. You know, and he's got chickens in the backyard. It's awesome. Now, the last time you were out here, when you're up in Sacramento, you were doing something in the culinary world, weren't you? Were you, you, you come up for a, for an event or you were, you were opening, you weren't, were you opening your own restaurant? No, I was actually out there for the California yes. Walnut Board. Right. Yes. Right. So you I got to shake trees. All right. And everything worked out. And has business now for you? 
It's good. I actually sold my restaurant in Philadelphia and uh, I am I have a new web series coming out in a couple weeks and I'm working on a new one and I got a whole new project and blah, 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 blah. I'm just all over. And the podcast is great. We have a great following and we have a, a very big following. We're starting to get some great sponsors. So we're having a lot of fun with it. It's working out really well. Excellent. And are you, are you, are you doing any teaching with uh, how to cook with CBD? Uh, no, not yet. I just, I'm actually heading to a dinner Thursday night in New York with my buddy, Warren Bobro, who, or Bobro, who is the cannabis mixologist. So he does a book called cannabis cocktails, mocktails, and tinctures. Um, and it's being put on by a company called magical butter, which magical butter makes the machine that basically does the extraction process. So it kind of does the decarbing and, and does all that stuff. So I'm going to this dinner in New York to do that. But And then I'm going to do a cannabis dinner in California, which I I'm, we're working on it right now. I'll give you all the details when that happens. Up here. So. I mean, it, it's the cannabis cooking out here in California, again, because of the access, because we've been doing this sure. basically since 1996 legally and since like 44 BC illegally. I mean, it, it, it's such an advanced market. There's so many chefs out here who are really cutting their teeth on the, the cannabis culinary industry, the private parties, uh, you know, and they really worked it down to a science. It's only going to get better. And I have to imagine as other states, in Pennsylvania right now is, is, is starting to get into this process. I know there's a couple of dispensaries that are opening up, They're not really doing a lot with butters, not doing a lot with, with, uh, with the rosins yet. But I, I would have to imagine as the state matures in its in its marijuana industry, the culinary world will, will jump in. I would I would have to imagine as because right now I I have a, I have a uh, my college roommate is an anesthesiologist out in uh, uh, Paoli, and okay. and he just went through the course in order to become you know one of the doctors who is going to put their license on the line with regards to be able to do uh, okay. recommendation letters. The limitations, however, at this point in Pennsylvania are is if you don't have if you don't have cancer. It's it's 14 ailments that they're working with, basically. Yes. Right. Right. And, you know, I did a recent study where we, we evaluated 11000 patients and found out that the, uh, of, of the 4272 that actually completed all portions of the uh, of the survey, the top five reasons at least in California, why people use cannabis is anxiety, depression, insomnia, uh, to get off opioids and headaches. Well, right. none of those are even on the list in Pennsylvania. No. Mm-hmm. And they don't end the ability to, you know, essentially freelance if they think, well, listen, my medical opinion, this would benefit this patient, which, again, I'm hoping with the evolution and as the market becomes mature and the, and the patients become more used to it and the state can get wrapped their heads around it, that this will develop, but you know, it's baby steps. Well, I mean, we're still, we're still a Quaker state. We still have Quaker laws and rules in certain cases. We didn't have uh, alcohol sales um, out of liquor stores or whatnot until about nine years ago, 10 years ago. And what they did was they opened up a certain amount of stores throughout the, throughout the state. Uh, and it was like a one month process and they were like, holy shit, look at the amount of revenue that's coming in. Right. Um, so, and, and still within Pennsylvania, there is no flower at all. There is no straight cannabis there is no straight marijuana. It is, um, it, it's all tinctures and oils is what you can do in the wax. So, which I am personally not a fan of, right. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I like uh, a flower. Yeah. People like flower. I mean, it's very earthy. I mean, you really get a chance to 
if, if you if you do really good extraction, you can really enjoy the terpenes. But the the terpenes in their natural state are really hard to beat. I mean, yes. as far as the, the the flower is concerned, and people. There's a lot of medical benefits of the terpenes that haven't been explored yet because we just can't do any real scientific research. Even the study I did is essentially like asking Family Feud. Well, the top 4,000 people have asked what they use cannabis for. Here are these five reasons. Yeah. And so you, it, it's, it's not scientific by law. Since cannabis is still a Schedule One drug, as a physician, I cannot re make recommendations as to the strain. I can't make recommendations with regards to dosage. Right. Yet in Pennsylvania, they're asking that the physicians not only give strain, but they give dosage. Really? Yeah, that's according to my buddy who's out in, in Paoli. Right. Well, that's, that's actually federally against the law. I mean, you cannot, that's why when I write a recommendation letter, it's called a recommendation letter, not a prescription, because you cannot prescribe right. a Schedule right. One drug. You have to give people an access card, which is what the recommendation letter is. I recommend that you could use cannabis if you so choose. Sure, exactly. But you're not saying take five milligrams every morning and call me tomorrow. And even think at this point, because we still don't have most of the science worked out, physician who is actually prescribing dosages and strains is actually opening up to a significant amount of liability because yeah. we don't really know anything yet. They won't let us do the work in order to come up with something to say, these are the safe numbers of milligrams to use at your weight and your age and your sex for this particular condition. And, and I, f I find that a lot of, I mean, I find that a lot of people that I've talked to, whether it be California, whether Colorado, Washington, um, wherever it is, that they're actually relying more on the tenders, the bud tenders or the people working in the shops to, to suggest, you know, I, I found out about Leafly through, uh, through a bud tender in Washington. And he's like, you know what a great thing to do? He said, while you're sitting on the plane, scroll through strains, you might find something that you like or that you're looking for or whatever it is. And, and, and I, I mean, it's, it's been a huge help because it breaks it down on the positive, the negative, and the medicinal benefits of it. And I think that's a great thing to do. I, I think it is as well. One of the big things when we voted for Proposition 64, which is what was the Legalization Act here in California, they were, they, the, the regulators made a special point of saying that the bud tenders, the people working at these dispensaries are not pharmacists. Right. You cannot rely on them to give you this information. Well, if you can't rely on the doctor, yeah. you can't rely on the person who's there, who's handling the material, who are we relying on? We can't rely on the research. There is no research being sure. done. I mean, logically, and what I tell my patients is, somebody can give you a suggestion. You're not going to be the first one with anxiety who's going to be looking for cannabis. If you go into a dispensary, you go to the bartender, you don't have to necessarily ask them to make a suggestion. Ask them, what are your patients who have anxiety using? Getting. What strains are they using? And if they give you five or six options, buy the least amount of as many different strains as possible. Take them home. Try them out. See what works for you, what doesn't work for you, subjectively, objectively. Don't right. spend a lot of money buying something based on what somebody suggests that you do. Sure. What it's going to do is turn you off to the whole process, especially if you're just starting out. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know, you know, there's certain stuff. My ex-girlfriend had cancer and she, certain things that she would do would have a totally different effect on me. Completely. She'd be, she'd be falling asleep and I'd be wide awake, ready to, to go dancing.
Right. You know, um, but uh, so so what what got you into what brought you to the point where you were like, I'm going to start writing recs for this in the, in the way that you're doing it. I mean, it, it I found you on a website, man. You right. know, well, again, I was I'm an orthopedic spine surgeon and I was doing I was involved a lot with doing workers compensation here in Southern California. And it just became just this ponderous ordeal. It wasn't fun. I would do these spine surgeries and people would come back. And the whole point of doing spine surgery is people have back pain. So you do these enormous operations and afterwards they still have back pain. So you've got these beautiful x-rays, but you really, in my mind, I wasn't achieving anything. There was no, there was nothing positive. And then once you become a surgeon, it's that, that same story. You know, once you become a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, and it was yeah. like the type of doctor I didn't want to be anymore. And then about four or five years ago, I was listening to the radio where that Anthony Holder, the attorney general at the time, was saying that they're thinking about of uh, loosening the banking restrictions, which they haven't yet, but they're right. thinking right. about loosening the banking restrictions. And I said to myself, this is the time to start getting into this. If they're going to loosen the banking restrictions, that means that cannabis is going to become more mainline. And so then I just opened, I put I threw a shingle up on an office up in the Eagle Rock section just north of L.A., and they dribbled in. I tried, you know, I went to different events. I went to different um, educational meetings and opened another office in Pasadena, which grew up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, telemedicine hit. And I was able to access people, not just in my geographic zone, but everywhere in the state of California. And again, 40 yeah, million yeah. people. I had an enormous amount of pool of patients. And I can touch with enormous amount of patients. And I will tell you this. I have learned more medicine in the last five years than at any other point in my life, more than medical school. Because when someone comes in with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I was an orthopedic spine surgeon. I'm sticking screws in people's spine. I wasn't learning about Hashimoto's. I learned about it when I had to take my boards, but that was it. Now I understand it. I understand Graves' disease. I understand people who have the reflex sympathetic dystrophy, peripheral neuropathy. I mean, so many things about medicine, just pure medicine that cannabis has taught me. It's, it's, it's opened my eyes to allow me to become the doctor that I always should have been. Wow. And what, and, and how far away, let me, let me rephrase that. Why is it that we are still, why it's still so kind of taboo, even though it's, it's gotten very loose, it's very loose now, but it's still very taboo. It's loose in bubbles. I mean, we again, we live in California where it's been legal for, for, for 20 years, 30 years, 20 years rather. But, you know, you go to other sections of the country, it's not that loose. I mean, they still can't believe that, you know, we were working with this. This is the devil's weed. I mean, you see the, the attorney general of the United States. Good people don't use cannabis. I mean, this is this is just the mindset. Now, is it the indoctrination of the uh, since 1937? of the negative propaganda that was started by Ansling that has carried through? Was it the fact that in 1970, despite the fact that the, that, that, that Nixon's judge who said, look, cannabis is fine, I wouldn't worry about it. He wanted to try to control the hippie population, uh, the young population and put them in jail by making it a schedule one drug. Could it be that? Uh, any number of these things, but the yeah, bottom yeah. line is, is that in my mind, is the pharmaceutical companies. If yeah, you can yeah. grow in your backyard, the medicines you need for sleep, for anxiety, for pain. Why buy? I don't need to buy the pills. Right. 
you know, and they spend an enormous amount of money. Look, you spend an enormous amount of money on research. I get it. You come up with something that's really good. You want to be able, this is still America. It's still a capitalistic society. I get it. But why not try to do it from an even playing field? Why do you need to suppress the natural medicines? If your medicine is so good, why don't you just go into regular competition? Why do you need to to continually lobby against the legalization of medicine, of cannabis, against research into cannabis in order for you to maintain or, or to make another buck? Just make it a level playing field. If yeah. your pill is as good as this, it'll show out. You don't have to, you don't have to do all that stuff, but that's not the way we work. I mean, for me, I know it, growing up it was, and I'm, I'm 46, so I was born in 71. So I was really right there during a lot of that, that time frame with, you know, I mean, it's the gateway drug. I mean, that's what we were all told. If you smoke weed, you're going to end up dead in a ditch somewhere. Right. It's just the way that it was. And then going through, and I smoked weed once when I was 14 years old. It was something was in it. I got super, super sick. I didn't touch weed again until I was 38 years old. So for me, I stayed away from it. I didn't like it. I didn't like the smell of it. And then one day I was in, I was at the Greek observatory with my brothers, my younger brothers. And they're like, you work too fucking hard. You got to slow down here, smoke this. And I'm like, all right, my brothers are telling me to do something. And there was this calming piece that I was like, wait a second, hold on for a second. You know, I don't feel like I'm a maniac. I'm not running around. I'm not trying to kill other people. And as everybody's always said, nobody's ever died from smoking weed. You know, they haven't, but I will give you a little piece of warning after I, I did a little uh, interview with some people out in Nevada and Nevada is basically it's the, it is for all intents and purpose, corporate, it's corporate cannabis. Right. And it's all indoor grows and they're kind of stacking the deck against the patients, I believe, in the long run, a couple of different ways. Number one, there are 154 known pesticides that have been used for the cannabis plant. They need, the corporate cannabis people, need to make sure that they produce as much cannabis as possible. It's all gonna go to the bottom line, and this is you know, it's publicly traded companies, all this kind right. of nonsense. So they cut corners, they're cutting a lot of corners. One of the things they're doing, they're going to labs that don't test for 154 pesticides, they test for five pesticides so they can then sell it as pesticide free. If you're not testing for something, it's not there. Number one. Sure, Number sure. two, they're wrapping the plant that they're going to be testing in plastic just to double to make sure that it comes up completely negative. And the problem with that is that if you were going to use large amounts of pesticides on a commercial grow, and then you turn that into an extract and you concentrate it. Now, all of a sudden, that pesticide becomes almost like a lethal weapon. Sure. So we may see our first death, cannabis, not because of the cannabis, but because of the concentrated malathion or the pesticides that are being used to produce these high-yielding uh, corporate growths. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Is that I, actually, I was reading something about it today. They were calling it dirty feet. Get out of the tree! <laughs> right now! Sorry about that. It's okay. Um, it. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I got scared. I started to climb out of the tree. They're up in the tree. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, but it's like a palm tree. They're climbing a palm tree in, in California. Pinky willow. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're trying to build a tree house in there. <laughs> Kids are laying housey. They're laying housey these two. 
No, no. My, my, I told my daughter I was getting rid of the trampoline in the backyard. And she's like, what do you mean? You're getting rid of the trampoline? I can't believe you're getting it. I'm like, kid, Fiona, you haven't been on it in two years. Right. I'm getting rid of the trampoline. She's like, I swear to God, we'll use it this summer. <laughs> Keep jumping, buddy. Um, so, I, I mean... We're at a really, we're at a really weird kind of point of this because I, I keep talking about the fact that imagine after during prohibition, if we have the same kind of insight uh, that we do right now, you know, I mean, there's a tremendous amount that's about to happen. I mean, through stock, and I've I've bought a lot of cannabis stock in the last year, um, can, especially Canada with a lot of stuff that's going on up there and everything. And um, but I, you know what, I was just reading an article on dirty weed. And that's what they were talking about was the fact that there are these corporations out there now that are spraying and they're putting the chemicals right into a non-chemical based product. So, so how is that going to be regulated? I mean, who, how is that going to be regulated? Well, I, it's already being regulated and they're turning a blind eye. If you're going to, if you're going to say something is pesticide free and you're only testing for five of for one thirtieth of the number of pesticides they've already regulated it but they've skewed it away from the patient and more towards profit so I mean it's already in that direction and they're perfectly comfortable with this and that's they're gonna be fine until all of a sudden somebody dies from not poisoning from the cannabis or but from poisoning from the from the concentrated pesticides now all of a sudden you're going to have to say, oh, see, now people die from cannabis. People die from cannabis. <laughs> you think people are going to come back and say, no, 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 it was the pesticides in the cannabis. They don't care. They don't care right now. If you have, you, since cannabis stays in your system for 30 days, if you use cannabis 24 days ago and you get in a car accident right now and they test your blood or, or your urine and they find cannabis, you are going to get a DUI under the influence. Now you're going to get that. Not testing for the inactive metabolite, which has no activity whatsoever, but because it's showing up, you're going to get busted for this. Sure. So, I mean, the the the, the deck is completely stacked against this. Yeah. You know, this, you know, nobody talks about with regards to cannabis and driving or anything like that. Not that I'm a proponent of people driving on cannabis, but it's not just what shows up in your blood. It's not the it's not the the level in your blood, it's what is your impairment? Are you impaired? Yeah. Alcohol is easy. We know based upon millions of studies that above 0.8, 0 0.08 rather, you can't you can't functionally drive a car. We sure. know that. But if you've got someone who's using large amounts of cannabis for 35 years and somebody who just used the first time, the amount of cannabis you're going to find potentially in the metabolites of the longtime user is going to be infinitely higher than the first time user, but they're not impaired. Yeah. So there's no way to, to correlate the amount in your system and impairment, especially if you're not going to take into account the difference between an active metabolite and an inactive metabolite. Now, are they, are you finding, are you hearing about a DUI with cannabis involved in, in California? I mean, cause everybody yeah. I know smokes out there pretty much. Absolutely. Absolutely, they're arresting people all the time. Really? Absolutely, and, and they're and they're trying to use the a scrape test uh, uh, that was developed out of Stanford in order to do this. And then, the, but the really good attorneys come back and say, "Well, show me the impairment. Let me right. see what the impairment is." But there are a lot of people who have absolutely you know can't afford attorneys who yeah. are relying who now are going to be. Luckily, it's not going to be if you just carrying the cannabis and it's in your system, you're not going to be arrested, but 
it's a different uh, uh, situation if you're in a car, if you're in a motor vehicle. Right. Now, all of a sudden, all of the all of the nonviolent offenders status release that has been come through Prop 64 that's slowly letting people out of jail, that's bypassed if you're in a vehicle. Sure. So that, so that hasn't changed. So, yes, I am still seeing it. And they are. So they, I didn't know that they were letting they were letting people out. Yeah, well, that was look. There was only two good things that came out of Prop sixty four because okay. this state is in complete upheaval. Nobody really knows what's going on. The only two good things that came out of it was number one is that you have to they're they're going to give amnesty and release all the nonviolent criminal offenders who are in jail for cannabis. Now, wow. have they all been blankly released? No, but it's happening. Second thing that comes from this is that. Regardless of what the rules of your county are, you are guaranteed to not be cross prosecuted and grow up to six plants on your own. Wow. Now that is incredibly important because people on fixed incomes, people who can't afford the taxes, people who can't afford, people who are homebound, who can't get down to a local dispensary. Now granted there are delivery services, but at some point, you know, hopefully the prices don't get out of control, but you don't have to imagine that some people are financially strapped. They can't afford their medicine. To be able to grow your own medicine is an enormous concession. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially when we know how the state is doing this primarily in order to get tax money. And number two, you got big companies who are going to want to start flooding the market pretty soon. So those are the two reasons why Prop 64 works. The rest of it. It's such a hodgepodge right now. So, but it is fully, it is fully recreational. So I can walk, I can walk in right now to any store, not any store, but a, a dispensary. Absolutely not. I would say 70% of the state has not gone recreational yet. Really? The places that have gone recreational are places like in the desert, far away places. None of the major metropolises have, or metropoli, have uh, uh, opened up recreational yeah, every, it's all these small towns like Tehachapi and Bishop and, and Blythe, all these small towns. But there's no recreational at this point that has been voted on by the local uh, municipalities in, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in uh, uh, in San Diego. Matter of fact, San Francisco has said that they may never allow for recreational. Really? Huh, I didn't know that. And is San Diego recreational? I San Diego is not recreational. Not okay. All right. So you're, I mean, you're going to find some people who are they open up a, a storefront and they say, "Yeah, come on in, we're recreational," and they'll get popped and they'll close down. Right. Right. And that's why. And that's why the rec card is so important. Well, I the rec card is important for several different reasons. Number one, the rec card you'll get into any dispensary in the state. Number two, recreational in California at this point is just flour. There's no edibles. There's no okay. anything else. So if you've been used to using some other than flour, you need to have the rec card. Number three, um, if you are a resident of California and you get a rec card, it will allow you to pay $100 to go to the Department of Public Health to get a state-issued card. The state-issued card guarantees that you don't have to pay the extra taxes. Okay. And number four, and just purely from a, you know, a 30,000-foot view, just because you have a doctor's recommendation letter or or if cannabis is, is recreational in your state, doesn't mean that an employer has to employ you. Of course. So if, they do, if they do any kind of drug testing on you and they find cannabis, 
they can arbitrarily listen. Yeah, we're going to let sure, you go. Sure. If you at least have a doctor's rec, in my mind, you got a shot. But right. if you got nothing, what's your what's your fallback position? Yeah, you know, there I don't, is none. Right, I, I, you're using this recreationally. I don't want to employ you anymore. Sure. Yeah, but, but I mean, this is this is coming from my standpoint, and ultimately, it doesn't even matter if if the wrecks disappear or this part of my practice disappears. What is more important is that the legacy I want to leave behind is the education, is is to do something because I'm not going to be doing this forever. Sure. I, want, I want people to be able to know that cannabis is medicine because it is medicine, and can people abuse it? Of course, abuse anything. You use sure. Tylenol. You, you abuse Nyquil. If you have that in your in your your psyche to abuse things, you'll abuse things. But let's let's not say as the DEA has said, uh, Chuck Rosenberg, when he was the head of the DEA, that listen, you want to legalize, legalize, but don't pretend it's medicine. It absolutely, is medicine. Right. I have too many patients, too many kids with cancer, too many kids with epilepsy, who don't who can actually live normal lives now. How is that not medicine? Yeah, it's, I mean, I've seen, you know, I just watched it with my father. My father passed away in October and, you know, there were points where he had, you know, he was using some of the, the oil and the tincture here and there to keep his appetite going and just kind of, just kind of chill him out for a little bit, you know, during all the stages of chemotherapy and all the other bullshit. And it was, it was an impressive thing to watch, you know, I mean, it was impressive in that manner. And I have met parents who have kids with, with epilepsy and it does make a huge difference in the, in the quality of life that their children are having going from 30, 40, 50 seizures a day to one, you know, to. It's crazy. How yeah. is that not medicine? That's why a lot of ways I am, I, I, I my, my, uh, the back of my hair is hairs on the back of my neck crankle. Whenever I hear people say they call cannabis recreational, see there's one component of the plant, the THC, which has psychoactive effects. So when you use the cannabis, you may enjoy those psychiatric effects, but the CBD is still in the plant. Right. The CBD is still working, regardless of whether you have no THC or a lot of THC, it's still in there. So even in a recreational state, from a, from a well-being standpoint, you're still getting CBD. You're still getting right. medicine. So it's never truly recreational. You may try to take the psychological, the mood elevating aspect of it. That may be the reason why you're using it, but you're still getting the medicine. Right. No matter so, what, it's still coming in. You're still getting the medicine. So what, so where are you as, as a doctor, where are you suggesting that people get all of their information? for the different strains or the different, I mean, other than walking in and saying, give me, I want to have, I want a purple Kush, I want a blueberry dream. I want a graham cracker and I want a gorilla glue. You know, what are you, by the way, I know my strains. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what, you know, where, where, where are you suggesting that people get this information? Well, I would love them to get it from me at drfrank.com spelling out doctor, because I am, we are, we have sent out the study that I recently did of, uh, review of 4,272 patients, what, you know, what they're using cannabis for this and that's already been picked up by 50 different publications. And I'm getting ready to release my first book. It's a, it's an ebook. It's going to be essentially 40 strains for 40 diseases. And again, wow. I am not allowed to suggest or to, to say this will work for this purely upon all the research we've done on 
over close to 100,000 patients, I'm gonna give you a range of strains that have been used for a specific disease. I'm gonna to try to compare what is the same about several of these strains so that you're not relying upon what something's called when you go into a dispensary. You're gonna rely upon the breakdown, how much sativa, how much indica, what are the terpene profile, that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna break down strains for diseases. Can't guarantee anything, but hopefully it's not necessarily a roadmap, it's like a mash. Remember they had that stick with like all the things going, Los Angeles, yeah. 4,000 miles? Yeah. That's that's what I'm gonna give. I'm essentially gonna use a stick with a bunch of different directions and see what sure. people say. Okay, so what is it that we should be asking? What, what should we be asking doctors when when we're going? Because now it's starting to happen. I mean, it's it's people are going to doctors all the time now. What What should we be, what are the questions that you suggest that if, you know, if I've got anxiety and that's what I'm coming in for, what are questions that I should be asking you as a doctor? Are you going to me as a cannabis doctor or are you going to me as a primary treating physician who's going to be referring you to the cannabis doctor? Where where are you in the in the in the protocol? Well, for, well, here's a question then that, that raises another question. How many doctors are pushing you to a cannabis doctor? I think. I think more and more doctors are becoming cool with it, not necessarily reluctantly, but almost as a way to thin the herd of their patients whose treatment to this point has not worked. Okay. I have patients who were seeing psychiatrists, people seeing psychologists from the Kaiser Permanente system. And they've been in with these people for years and they're not getting any better and the medicine's not working. And all of a sudden, they'll say subtly, you know, have you tried cannabis? No, I can't help you get cannabis, but have you tried that? So now all of a sudden, you've got something in your head. And you've got the, the psychologists in this particular case who are pushing them not only to, to see a doctor who may be able to give them a recommendation letter, but they're getting them out of their office. Right. So you're removing people who are not responding. Same thing with pain management people. The fourth most common reason that we see patients use cannabis is to replace opioids. Well, listen, a pain management doctor, the last thing he wants to do is just every month just keep writing 120, 240, 300 Oxycontins. Or, or they don't want me to do that. Right? I imagine that. So now all of a sudden, you've got it out. You've got, I'm not going to be able to, to give you cannabis, but maybe it might work for you. Maybe this will get you off the opioids. Now all of a sudden, you've got them out of your practice. Now all of a sudden, You've got people who are concerned they'd be losing their license for overprescription of opioids, not having to worry about that. And I think as this evolves more and more and more, more doctors, when they've thrown their hands up and said, listen, I just don't know what more to do for you, they're going to start pushing them. They'll be reluctant. Not going to be everybody first. They start pushing the people who will write the recommendation letters for cannabis. Hmm. And what kind of, what kind of, you know, what, what are we seeing in, in, on the health level? of, of more risks that are associated with it. Are we, are there, are they finding risks with smoking weed? Well, look, and I'm just going to say smoking weed. Look, I'm not going to go into the edible and the tincture and that stuff. I'm talking about the basics of, of smoking. All right. So the only research being done in the United States right now that's licensed by the or, or approved or funded by the federal government is being done at the university of Mississippi where they've been growing just shit weed for the past 20 years. <laughs> they do 15 studies a year and 14 of those studies try to find out 
why it's bad for you. None of the studies are for why it's good for you. It's sure. why it's bad for you. And I can't quote a, a study that's come out that says that that unequivocally says this is why cannabis is bad for you. Anecdotally, the only thing that we know is that people who take people have, have depression and they take these things called SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. There may be some cross reactivity between people who take SSRIs and people who use cannabis because they're fighting at the same neuron level. Okay. So, but, but again, it's all anecdotal. There's no, there's, there's, there's nothing that we can hang our hat on. And the other problem is that all the major research on the positive ends of cannabis is being done. It just turns out to be positive because the, the results of the studies are positive are coming out of Israel. They're coming out of England. They're coming out of uh, uh, the Netherlands. Our American way of thinking is that if the study is not done here, it's just, you know, you don't have to listen to it. Yeah. You know, it feeds right into the whole uh, big farm conspiracy anyway, because they don't want us to believe it. But they want to keep us away from the cannabis, keep us away from cannabis, can you use their drugs? But there are studies, there's so many positive studies coming from overseas, they're just not being done here and in an environment where we've been indoctrinated to believe that cannabis is the evil weed and it's the gateway and all this kind of stuff, not having papers coming out of the United States is not helping the cause. Right. Now, what are, what are your, what, what about the, the different studies that are coming out about vape and that sort of stuff? You know, I mean, I mean, popcorn lung and, you know, all of this other stuff. What, what is, you know, are we going to find out in five years that, you know, everybody's got these huge lesions and tumors inside of their lungs from the different polypropylene and whatnot that's going into it? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. We don't know. I mean, how many yeah, we don't know. I mean, how many times and how long did it take us to figure out that that lung cancer was caused by cigarette smoke? I mean, it, it, you know, I just it, it, we won't know these things. I mean, until the studies and ultimately, again, as as much as I am a proponent of cannabis as medicine, if the studies long term show that people are dying from overuse of the vape with regards to cannabis as a physician, if the study looks like it's real and it, and it's unequivocal and it passes all the, the statistical tests, well, then you stop using vapes. Right. I mean, just give me the study. If, if, if we get a study that is so pure that it says that cannabis in this form is bad, well, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not the NRA. Right, right. I, I'm going to say, yes, yes, we need to make some changes. Yeah. It's yeah. still a doctor. It's not about cannabis. It's not about guns. It's about what's right and what and what makes sense for the health and safety of the individuals in this country. Yeah. Dude, you're good. You're knowledgeable, man. I like talking to you. Listen, I'm a cool dude in a loose mood. I like it. Listen, CBD, I'm, it was so good to see you again. I want to thank yeah, you very no much for, for uh, letting me participate in your life, uh, not only just as a friend and on, on your show, and again, if anybody wants information, drfrank.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-F-R-A-N-K.com. And on all the social media is Dr. Frank Live. Beautiful. Doc, thank you so much for hanging out with us, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to talking again. I'll be out there in a couple of weeks and uh, hopefully we can get, we'll, we'll, we'll meet. All right. 
let's go out for possibly a uh, refreshing beverage. I like that. You know where we should go? We should go. Have you ever been to the Venice Whaler? I have not been to the Venice Whaler, but I know a couple places too. All right. My buddy owns Venice Whaler and he's a Philly guy. Oh, okay. And so it's beautiful. It's not the 80s. Eagles nonsense then. Am I going to have to listen to this bullshit? <laughs> no, I, we're done. We're okay, done. We, okay, okay, the, you done with the riots? All that's over? Well, no, we didn't have any riots. You oh, know okay. the best part about that riot? The best part about the riot that ESPN showed was the out of the two of the four pictures that they had, they actually pulled pictures from Massachusetts. These were pictures that had Massachusetts license plates in them. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Are you saying it was fake news? Don't tell I'm me. I'm saying this. it was fake news, man. Don't burst my bubble. We I had, we I had probably 2 million people lining the streets of Philadelphia for that parade. And it was, it was a great day, man. It was a great, great. Now, granted, I was on the 28th floor in a very nice apartment. I wasn't right. standing on the streets, but it was a beautiful day. You know, I mean, it was, it was just a, okay. uh, it, it was a great So yeah, it was a lot of fun. But Dr. Frank, thanks so much for your time, man. I appreciate you hopping on and I'll talk to you when I get back out there, dude. Bigger brother. All right. So there we go, everybody. Look, that's Dr. Frank. Uh, like I said, I met him a while back uh, when I was I was just talking to a friend and I kind of did it as a novelty thing to get the license. It was uh, it, it actually was 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 a neat little experience because I got to talk to him face to face. I mean, there was a conversation that happened that we did through FaceTime. So I, you know, I, I, I placed uh, the I, I placed the order online. I did it on my phone while I was sitting at dinner. Um, I hopped right back through. And uh, and just hopped right on the phone with the guy. And we had a conversation. We talked a little bit about Philly. You know, we kind of went back and forth on that. You know, uh, and now here we are. This is the location that we are now with, with uh, you know, Dr. Frank. He's got a tremendous amount of knowledge for what he does. Um, and, you know, with a medical background behind it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of comfort that falls into that world. Um, if you take a look at his website, it's really a great website. There's, there's everything from getting your card in here to verifying and, and there's, he does a blog. It talks all about medical conditions and the recommendations for different things, um, positives and negatives for certain stuff What happens with, you know, the one that I'm looking at is a pre post menstrual syndrome. You know, these are different medical conditions that, that they've got listed up here and kind of what comes through it. It's kind of cool. So, you know, let's click on, uh, let's click right here on uh, multiple sclerosis. All right. This talks about all sorts of different stuff. And this tells you all the different things that happen when you have multiple sclerosis, numbness and, ting numbness and tingling, headache, cognitive dysfunction, depression, speech, swallowing problems, breathing problems, fatigue, sexual dysfunction, muscle spasms, itching, tremor, seizure, bowel dysfunction across the board. And then as you're scrolling through this, it talks about the positives and negatives that the THC has for each one of these, as well as the, CA, the CBD. So, you know, we're looking at the at multiple sclerosis right here, and here's what it says. THC helps manage muscle spasms and stiffness, prevents swelling of the brain and optic nerve. CBD may be neuroprotective and may even counteract MS's development thanks to the fact that it may prevent brain infl inflammation. You know, a friend of mine has MS, and she struggles on a daily basis, and the, ME, the THC and the CBD are a huge part of her life. It's something that helps her out. And look, it, it, it's medicine, man. It's one of the things that happens. And yeah, we, you know, a lot of people use it on a recreational level and, and, and I'm cool with that as well. And whatever floats your boat with that. But I think we still have a lot of studying to do about it. And we still have to um, get a little bit deeper into certain parts of it because it is a scary thing. You know I mean? Imagine, think about what, if we would have known in, 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 you know, at the end of prohibition, if we would have known the, some of the problems that booze would have caused through alcoholism and, and liver disease and depression and all the shit that was going on rather than just kind of letting it go at that point and saying, all right, ah, fuck it, everybody go booze. 
you know, I, I think we would have had a little bit of a different world. And I think that's where we are right now. I think that a lot of these states are really waiting for the comfort of some some more evidence to come out to say that it's not bad for you, you know, that it is a medicine or that it is doing what it is. And I think that there's a lot of states that are uncomfortable with that. But I think that a lot of states at the same time are really moving forward in a very progressive manner. I mean, you look at Colorado, you know, they went recreational right across the board. Um, I've walked into into, into uh, uh, dispensaries in Colorado. It's a different experience. It's not, it's more of a business when you go in. That's what I found when I go into those places compared to when I've been in Washington where I walk in and, and I'm having a conversation with somebody and we're discussing different stuff. And, you know, we're talking about ailments and things that work for him because he had, you know, he had um, Bell's palsy and he had epilepsy. And he was talking about the things that benefited him and what he finds in the difference between a sativa and an indica and whatever it is. I do not in any way whatsoever claim to be an expert in this. I'm not an expert in this. I know way more about food than I do about weed. But what I do know is that I've seen the benefits of it happen directly in front of me with my ex-girlfriend, with my, you know, my father, uh, with friends of mine who are, are, uh, you know, have diseases such as MS and, and that sort of stuff. I, I do, I see it, you know? So for me, it's something that, uh, I'm really looking forward to see the, the progression of it. Like I said, I buy stocks in it. Um, you know, Try to do it pretty regularly because there's a lot of stuff happening out there. Um, you pay attention to the fact that Constellation bought, uh, you know, bought a company that's doing it in California or in, in, in Canada. You know, so we're about to start seeing the booze end of it and how they're going to monitor that is going to be a whole different world. Um, I like the idea of the edibles. I think that that's a really cool thing because in that case, I truly feel that it is a, 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 a milligram, a dosage per se. Um, than anything else. You know, I mean, when you're going into California or Washington or Oregon or Colorado or, or wherever else you're buying your stuff and you walk into the edible world and you are able to look down and you're seeing that there is 10% CBD, there is, you know, 130 milligrams of, of THC that's mixed into here. You know what you're getting and you know that world of what you're going to live in. Smoking, it's a different world. You know, I mean, that's more of a chill out, relax kind of thing in my opinion. Um, but on the medicinal level, I'm really excited to watch what's going to happen, what we're going to find and how it's going to progress. The fact that uh, Dr. Frank just raised, raised to me is the idea of the chemicals and the dirty weed that's happening. That's really fucked up. That's something that I, that I have a fear of, that I have a fear for the future of it. I have a fear for the progression of it. And I, I have a fear for the, for the, the quality of, of what it is that's going to be getting out there. Um, you know, we talk about the basics of you know, there, there's there's an there's an influx of fake across the world. Everything we do, hey, is that a Gucci? No, I bought it at a store for twenty five bucks. Oh my God, is that blueberry Kush or is that purple Kush? No, actually, this is called purple Kushina because of the fact that you know, like it's there's going to be a lot of really crazy shit. So I hope that we can monitor it and keep it in the direction that it's going, um, without getting too crazy about it, without being stupid. Um, so you know, let's uh, let's let's leave a, let's take a little bit of time to push that full recreational part of it. Let's take a little bit more time to get into that because I think that we need to be aware and we need to really find out and there needs to be awesome regulations that are going to go on with this. Um, the idea of it is, is awesome of this utopian world where everybody sits around and smokes and um, all the other stuff. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm no stranger. I, I do enjoy my weed. I do enjoy 
uh, you know, uh, some hits every now and then and, and, and an edible every now and then. I think that it it kind of uh, chills me out a little bit. And, and not only that, in reality, um, I don't drink uh, as much, I think, as I did before. I actually quit drinking for about five weeks. Unfortunately, I went away with the, the fraternity boys this weekend and I had to have some drinks. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the booze so much anymore. It makes me feel like shit, whereas I can take a hit off of a, a joint or out of a one or, or or eat a little bit of an edible. And it just kind of, it sustains me. I'm, 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 I'm in a good zone. I'm, I'm happy where I am. And it, it kind of uh, chills me out for a little bit. So that's where we're going to leave that for this week. Um, I am really glad that we had this show. This was something that was important to me. I wanted to gain a little bit more knowledge. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. Frank's. I, I, I like him. I like his rawness. I like the fact that he was yelling at his kids in the tree. Uh, the funny part of what you guys did not see was at one point there were red and blue lights that were kind of blinking. I don't know if that was, he had a, I know in his office, there's a whole bunch of video games. I'm hoping that like, you know, somebody didn't get hurt or something like that. And the cops are in the driveway, but who knows? So, uh, so that's it for me, everybody. Uh, you guys can find me at Chef Brian Duff on Instagram and Twitter. You guys can find me on Facebook at Chef Brian Duffy. Uh, you guys can also find me in Vegas. Um, I've got a couple things coming up real, real quick for you. I'm going to be in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, nope, that will this show will already have air. I will be in Fort Myers, Florida. When you are listening to this show, <laughs> I will be in Fort Myers, Florida. I will be at the City Tavern on Bay with my buddy Kevin and his whole crew of amazingly talented, beautiful women that are in this bar and that run this bar and do all the amazing stuff that happens down there for St. Patrick's Day. We are looking at doing close to 600, 700 corned beef and cabbage cheesesteaks for the day. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, after that, I'm going to hop right out. I'll be in Vegas. I'll see everybody at the nightclub and bar show. I want you guys to do me a favor. Put the code in right now. Put the code in. Right now, Chef Duffy, go to Nightclub and Bar, get your tickets. It's like 50 bucks off for the passes, guys. You cannot miss this. We're going to premiere Bar Crashers out there, myself and Michael Tips. That's another one to follow. Go to YouTube right now. Go to Bar Crashers and subscribe to the page. I need you to do that for me. Plus, get on Instagram and Twitter and all the good stuff. Follow that as well. Um, that's what I have for everybody this week. Thank you so much. I want to thank my three favorite people. I want to thank the uh, boys down there, RadioInfluence.com their professionalism, as well as their execution of this amazing show that or, or of, of the amazing job that they do for this show. Um, so check the boys out at radioinfluence.com with a tremendous amount of very informational podcasts, everything from spiritual to a load of sports and cop shows and just some really good stuff over there at Radio Influence. So hang out with those guys. My wonderful uh, illustrator, Maggie Gagliardi who I just adore. She's a wonderful human being, a beautiful woman, and just a very, very talented individual, as well as Michelle out there at uh, uh, Techno Solution, who puts all together my website and does all the really good stuff for us. So um, thank you guys so much. I hope you've had a great day with us. I really appreciate it. It's a Friday morning. I so appreciate you guys. Take care. And guys, go out and be fucking nice to people. Bye-bye. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. 
you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>